All right, well, we're going to be doing kind of a special message today. You may have noticed that by looking at your notes. And uh, today we're going to be recognizing three elders and four deacons here at the church. And so um, I wanted to share with you from the scriptures um, what the Word of God has to say about that. You know? And so before I get into that, um, one announcement. The Supper 6 thing that's getting ready to launch in April. Uh, if you haven't signed up for that already, we would encourage you to do so. I think there's about a dozen people or so. And from what I understand, it's something that we've done before. Basically, uh, you'll be assigned to a group, and you will have three, three suppers together over the course of three months, I believe. And so um, one at each person's house. And then after that's over, uh, we may do another round and there'll be a whole new group. So it's just a, a really sweet way to meet folks that you might not otherwise uh, know. And so we want to encourage everybody to participate because we want you guys to get to know each other better. And so uh, meeting here on Wednesday nights, Sunday mornings is such a, a sweet time. And that really is the foundation. But... Uh, it's important that we fellowship outside of these four walls too, and that's just another opportunity for us to do that. And so it's coming up. It'll be here in no time, and Pastor Bill asks that I please make sure and announce that today. So you can go on calvarynapa.org, and there is a, a card there that you can click on. There are details. You can sign up for that. So, Well, I'm going to be talking about elders and deacons. And the scriptures say a lot more about elders than deacons, so I'm going to spend a little bit more time on that today, uh, but I will cover both. And so let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we love you, and we are so grateful to be a part of your church. And uh, you have blessed your church with gifted men who are able to, to shepherd the flock and help with pastoral duties. You have gifted the body with men who are able to uh, help with practical needs, which are so very important. And so I thank you for this day. This is a, a special day when we recognize some of these men that you have called to your service here in this congregation. And I thank you for your word. I thank you that the scriptures do clearly lay out for us what this is to look like and what these men are to do and what their qualifications are and so on and so forth. So I pray that you would please bless this time. I pray that we would all be encouraged, that we would be taught, and that we would be challenged. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me just say this. Uh, though this is talking about elders and deacons, and I'll explain more about that in a minute, this is very applicable to us all because in a lot of ways I'll be talking about qualifications, characteristics, things of that nature, and these are things that we should all be striving for. These are really things that Christians should be doing. And so these, these men that we're going to be raising up today, uh, they are to uh, be exemplary in these things. They are to kind of set the bar, so to speak, but these are things that apply to all of us as Christians. So I do pray and, and hope that we'll all be challenged as we work our way through this. So let's start by talking about elders, just some distinctions that we should note. We're not talking about elderly people when I say elders, though some of our elders may be elderly, but uh, it, it, they could be young folks, could be older folks. Uh, Paul told Timothy 
Don't let anybody despise you for your youth. Don't let them look down on you because of your age. But you should set the, the standard. You should be an example to the believers. And so that's, that's what it really boils down to. Character, conduct, more so than age. But truly, with age often comes maturity, character, wisdom, so on and so forth. We are talking about a position of leadership in the church. That's what we're talking about today when I reference elders or the eldership. And different churches do this differently. Um, in the New Testament, there are a few different titles that are given to the pastor. That's usually the word that we would use regarding pastoral ministry as pastor. But the New Testament uses words like overseer, bishop, um, pastor, elder, and these words are used interchangeably. Now, they are different Greek words. Um, overseer is episkopos, and that kind of deals with um, the leader as a manager. He oversees the operations of the church. You have the, the elder, and that is the um, presbyteros, and that kind of is the marked man. He is uh, the, 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 the man of wisdom, the man who is called, the man of God who has been set over the congregation. And oftentimes there's a plurality of, of elders, leaders in a church. And then you have the word poimain, which is pastor, shepherd. And that speaks of the one who encourages, loves, leads, cares for the flock. And as I said, these words are often used interchangeably of the same person. And so they, they speak of the same guy. And we'll see some scriptures where we see that happening today. And so I just want to say here at our church in Calvary Chapel, the way that we have chosen to structure our leadership is you have pastors, you have pastor teachers, you have the senior pastor. That is the, the role that I fill. But we also have assistant pastors who may uh, function in different capacities. Pastor Vince, predominantly over the years, has been uh, a counseling pastor. He has led small groups. He does a lot of one-on-one -on -one type of discipleship. He's certainly able to teach, um, but he hasn't generally taught from the pulpit. That has been Pastor Bill's main uh, responsibility, main ministry. And then Pastor Gordon Goo, he, he served in various capacities, but he was the children's pastor for a number, number of years, and he led an addictions ministry. And that's something that we're going to launch here pretty soon. We'll talk about that later. And so you have pastors who have that title who function in different capacities, but then we have elders. And elders are called men of God who meet the qualifications of the elders in the New Testament, and they also serve in a spiritual role. They serve spiritually. They are shepherds who help assist the pastors in shepherding the flock. And we'll talk more about that as we go. And so that's how we have chosen to function. Some churches... Their pastors are elders, and their elders are pastors, period. Some churches have pastors and then elders and then deacons like we have. Some churches will have a single pastor, and they don't have any elders, but they have deacons. And the deacons actually function as elders. That, to me, is, is a very confused way of going about it, but that is how some churches do it. So it is very different uh, from church to church. Um, so this is, this is how uh, we approach it here at Calvary Chapel Napa. And that's, that's pretty common for most Calvaries and, and even other churches that we, that we might fellowship with. They have that same model. You have the pastors, the elders, the deacons. Well, 
the Bible is clear there is a great need for elders in the church. In your notes there, you'll see um, that was something that Paul did. He would go from town to town. He would plant churches. He would raise up elders. And he told Titus to do the same thing. Titus 1.5, he said, I left you in Crete for this very reason, that you would set things in order that are lacking and that you would appoint elders in every city as I have commanded you. Eldership should be multi-generational. Elders uh, should be pouring into other young men and raising up the next generation of elders and the next generation of elders. Paul told Timothy in Tim, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, he said, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses. Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So there's four generations there. Paul he entrusts these things to Timothy. He says, entrust these things to faithful men who will in turn trust them to other faithful men. And so we see that there is this, um, this progression that happens as we are regularly raising up leaders. And that's something that you want to see happening in a church. You want to see guys coming up, being trained, being recognized, being set in place. And sometimes they're sent out. Sometimes they may go out as missionaries. They may plant churches. Uh, God is always doing new things and moving things around, and so the eldership should be multi-generational, as I said. And I also want to note that there, should be, there are distinctions with elders. Not all elders serve in the same exact capacity as I had already mentioned uh, regarding the pastors. The same is true with elders. And Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5, he says, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. So Paul is making a distinction here with Timothy. He says, let those who rule well and labor in the word be counted worthy of double honor. And so that is to say that there are some elders who don't labor in the word. All right, so different elders tend to have different giftings and abilities and so we don't expect them to all be a carbon copy and to look the same and do this same exact thing. And again, that's just true of the body of Christ in general. We have guys that serve on a macro level. Uh, our board of directors, those are the guys that we're recognizing as elders today. They, they oversee what's happening on, a, on, um, on the, the large scale of the church. Financial decisions, or ordination decisions, all, all kinds of things, the major decisions that affect the church as a whole, we would call that macro leadership. But then you have micro leadership where you're dealing, you're in the trenches with the people and you're, you're ministering to people one-on-one -on -one and uh, our elders do that as well. And so you kind of see both. But some guys excel more in one arena than others and that's okay. That's just the way that it is. So I want to talk a little bit about the qualifications for elders. So if you would turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Paul is setting out the qualifications for these, these leaders to Timothy. And Paul has left Timothy in Ephesus. And Timothy is there uh, functioning as the pastor over the church. And Paul writes to Timothy and gives him a number of instructions when it comes to pastoring a church. So setting elders up is a big part of that, and so he sets forth the qualifications. So 1 Timothy chapter 3 says, This is a faithful saying, If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. 
that word bishop there, it's the same word as overseer. Verse 2, a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to much wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So it's a rather lengthy list of positive commands and negative commands. And so there are 11 positive commands given here, things that the elder ought to be. And then there are six negative commands, things that the elder ought not to be. And so I'll just move through these pretty quickly. Blameless, that's the first thing. And everything else falls up underneath that. Now this does not mean that the elder is to be perfect. There is no such thing, right? There is no such thing as a perfect man. But that is to say, the, the idea here is, is cannot be held, nothing will stick. He has such a reputation, he is so well known, and his character is such that if someone were to even make an um, accusation, your for, first impulse would be, no, no way, uh, I, that couldn't be, because the person has such a stellar reputation. That, that is the idea of blameless or above reproach. He is to be the husband of one wife. That literally in the Greek is one woman, man. That's what it, what it says. And different churches treat this differently. And some would say that if you've ever been divorced or, or anything like that, you're disqualified. But most, most churches, most conservative churches, we don't uh, interpret it as such. Uh, I, I think the idea is a one woman man, he's clearly devoted to his wife. He is not a flirt. And... He doesn't have that kind of reputation. His heart belongs to his wife alone. His affections belong to his wife alone as she's very confident and comfortable in that. Everyone knows that. Everyone sees that. Uh, he's certainly not a cheat. And some have said in that culture in this day and age it could have been speaking of polygamy. That is possible. Um, and so he's saying that you know a pastor can't have multiple wives. Okay, that as well. Uh, but I, I think more likely it's just speaking of the fact that a pastor has to be a man who is above reproach and it is very clear that uh, he is in no way a flirt that he uh, he guards that with his life uh, his reputation towards his wife temperate sober sober-minded and good behavior those are very similar words and the idea is um, clear-headed serious vigilant um, you can be, uh, you know, I prefer guys to have a sense of humor and to be kind of, you know, goofy at times. That's necessary, even in ministry. We have to be able to laugh at ourselves, right? Um, but there's also a, a certain level of seriousness involved, and that, that's necessary because th so often we're dealing with very serious matters uh, in ministry, and so you have to be a, a serious man. You have to have the ability to laugh and smile and even laugh at yourself sometimes, but you also have to be serious, clear-headed, sober-minded, good behavior, hospitable. 
The word literally means to love strangers. And so an elder is someone who cares for and, and loves people, others, period, especially newcomers, someone who they'll have people in their home. They're not afraid to, to love on them and to feed them and to get to know them, to pray for them, to, to show hospitality, to be gracious towards others. That is so necessary. Oftentimes, elders, uh, pastors, they can be really shut up. You know nothing about them. There's no hospitality. They're, they're pulpit men. And uh, you would not know them in any other light. And that's not good. Uh, an elder, a pastor, is to be a, a hospitable man. Able to teach. This doesn't mean that the elder has to be a spectacular teacher. They simply have to have the ability to understand the truth, to be able to articulate it in a way that it makes sense, but specifically they have to be able to contradict, or not contradict, but refute people who try to contradict sound doctrine. That is what it says in, in Titus where you find the, the qualifications of an elder. That's, that's the whole idea here. You have to be able to speak the Word to people in a way that is helpful to them. It makes sense. It, it encourages them. It gives them direction. There's clarity in that. There's wisdom in that. And ultimately, they have to have the ability to, uh, to come against false teaching. And that's, that's a real clear distinction of an elder. I've seen guys that have such a desire to be in pastoral ministry... But then I see the kind of stuff that they that they uh, li they listen to, the pastors that that they uh, that they enjoy, and they're just constantly getting blown around by every wind of doctrine. And I'm thinking, you want to be uh, an elder, you want to be a pastor, and you're supposed to be the one who's protecting people, but you're getting blown around by every wind of doctrine. That you know that that would be terrible. So the person has to be able to teach, and that. That manifests itself in different ways. You have some people who can preach in front of crowds from the pulpit. You have people who do small groups, life groups. You have people who do one-on-one -on -one type discipleship. I've even heard one pastor say that he considers letter writing a, a form of being able to teach. And uh, a guy that I respect dearly, I consider him to be a real authority in our generation, Mark Dever. That was something, I had never heard that before, but I thought that was pretty interesting. He has elders who are uh, letter writers, even. And then he's to be gentle, uh, and we all understand why that would be so important. You know, there are pastors out there who are harsh, they're mean, they're, they're scary, and I have seen pastors who are not gentle. They can be, but most often they're not. And when I was a, a real new believer and aspiring to one day be a pastor, I looked at guys like that and I kind of thought that was what it was all about. You had to be an alpha pastor and you had to you know, really be able to knock people upside the head. And I saw pastors like that and thought that was the way that it was supposed to be. And <laughs> I praise the Lord that uh, He helped me to see otherwise. And He used... You know, my wife in particular, she kind of uh, was very instrumental in, in helping me uh, see kind of the error in that. And um, I've had other godly men who have modeled being a, a gentle shepherd. And I've come to realize just how important that is. You have to be approachable. And so the guy has to, has to have Christ in, in his countenance, you know. And you, uh, you want to know that you can come to someone and not get railed or beat up on, but that they're going to be gentle with, with you. One that rules his own house well. And that's just practical wisdom there. And it says if they can't rule their own house, 
You know, that's a, that's a microcosm. If they, can't, if they can't lead this little family here and have their house in order, how can they rule the house of God? And so, just practical wisdom there. And it says that they have to have a good testimony. They have to have a good testimony. It has to be obvious. Hey, this guy is clearly a Christian. He loves the Lord. He loves his wife. He is walking the walk. Everyone knows it. Inside the church and outside the church. In the workplace. Wherever it may be, people know this person is the real deal. That is necessary. Alright, now, the negative commands. There are six negatives given here. Not to be given to wine. That doesn't mean you can't drink at all, but they can't be ruled by it. They can't be addicted to wine. They're not to be given to it. Not to be violent. That's just an obvious one. Again, that, I think that goes along with, um, with the uh, being gentle. You know, I knew of a, I had a pastor in Tennessee, he was a Baptist pastor, and he said that in his home church in Louisiana on the river, he grew up in a little church on the river, their deacons were the el- basically functioned as the elders, and if they had a disagreement, they would just go outside and fist fight, and that was how they settled the disagreement. And so, you know, obviously that's not going to work, okay? So we can't have elders in here with black eyes. And so, um, can't be violent. They cannot be greedy. They can't be doing what they do for the love of money. If, if they do, they're in the wrong line of work. We don't do what we do for money, period. We don't do what we do for personal gain in that sense. If we are compensated for what we do, it's purely so that we are able to be available to our people, to invest in our people, to have the time to, to study and to prep and to counsel and to be available on a moment's notice, whether that's day or night. That's the idea. And you're being paid so that you can be uh, there for the congregation entirely. They're not to be quarrelsome, covetous, not a novice. Uh, those other things I've already kind of spoken to a little bit. Quarrelsome. Some people are just argumentative. And, you, and I'm sure we all know even some Christians that are like that. But an a, uh, elder cannot be that. It cannot be argumentative. It cannot be quarrelsome. And it can't be a novice, a new, a new believer. Um, that, that word there, it means like a, a little tender shoot. A little, a little uh, sapling that could easily be trampled. I mean, there has to be strength there. The person has to be grounded. They have to be mature. They have to be solid in the faith. Cannot be a new believer. It says, lest they fall into the same condemnation as the devil. That is pride. And I've seen that happen, and it is ugly. New believers get a position of authority, and they become instant headbusters. I mean, they are, they are hard on you, and the pride it really rises up in them, and it ultimately to their own destruction and to the hurt of, of the people that they were in charge of. And so that's why they can't be a new believer. Pride, it really creeps in. One thing I want to point out here is that out of all of these distinctives, only one is a skill. Out of all of these things mentioned here, out of these 17 on this list, only one is a skill, and that is uh, teaching. But everything else is character. And so that is a huge point, and I think it's a point for all of us in here. God is far more concerned with who we are in Him than what we do for Him. Got that? God is far more concerned with character. You can have all the giftings, you can be able to do all of these wonderful things, but if your heart is not right, if your character is not right, it doesn't mean very much to God, okay? And so it's interesting throughout the Gospels, Jesus never talked about the gifts of the Spirit. Jesus didn't talk about gifts, but He regularly talked about 
fruit. He regularly talked about fruit. He talked about character. He talked about conduct. And so that is the main thing with our elders. They have to be men of character. Very, very important. And that's what God cares about. Yes, they have to have certain skills and abilities, but character number one. And so again, I just want to say that for all of us in here as Christians. God gifts us in very different ways, and we all have abilities and things that we can do for the Lord. But first and foremost, He wants your heart. First and foremost, God wants your heart. He wants your affections. He wants you to bear much fruit. And Jesus said, that's how my Father will be glorified when you bear much fruit. Right? People are going to see you. They're going to see your love. They're going to see your character. They're going to see your light shine. That is what is going to glorify your God in heaven. It's not going to be so much what you can do, your gifts and your abilities. Right? And so that's what we're looking for uh, first and foremost with our elders. And let me just say this, uh, one point in passing, we do believe here that the eldership, that pastoral ministry, the elders, are uh, it's male leadership. The Scriptures speak very clearly to that. 1 Timothy 2.12, Paul says that um, I don't suffer a woman to exercise authority over a man or to teach. Now, that sounds kind of harsh, but it's not. The reality is, is we believe that God has created a certain order that we function under. God is the head. Man submits to, to God as the head, but man is the head of the home, the head of the house. And so the, the wife submits to the husband. And there is mutual submission to be sure, right? Uh, I, I value my wife. I trust her insight and uh, her wisdom so often, but ultimately I am the one who stands accountable to God for how I lead the home. And there can't be two heads. There can't. There has to be one. And so I, I answer to God. And so there's male leadership in the home and there's male leadership in the church. And that is the way that, that God has set it out. And it's not uh, uh, an ugly thing. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. That is God's design. And so we, that's what we hold to here. So pastors and elders, it is male leadership. All right, so let's talk about the duties of an elder. Uh, you can turn with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. We're going to be flipping around just a little bit today. Now, Paul has been in Ephesus for three years at this point. It was the longest he ever spent at any church. And he's getting ready to leave. And he doesn't think that he's going to ever see these, these uh, men again. And these are the elders of the Ephesian church that he is speaking to. And so as he is leaving, this is the instruction that he leaves them with. And this is one of those texts where we'll see those words used interchangeably that I, that I mentioned in the beginning. So, verse 28 he says, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. That's one of the words. And he says, To shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. That's another word. That is poimain. That is the word that would often be translated pastor or shepherd. So they are overseers in the church. They are to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Verse 29, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, 
men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember, for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So Paul makes it very clear. You are to shepherd the church. Now, one thing that he points out here is the church was purchased with what? The blood of Christ. That is huge. Okay, This is not my church. This is not the elder's church. This is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He bought you guys with His own blood. It wasn't my blood that was shed for you. It was His. But I have been placed here as an under-shepherd to the great shepherd, and I am to lead and to serve, to feed the flock, to, uh, to protect the flock. And that is also what the elders here have been commissioned by God to do. So we are, as overseers, as managers in the church, as those who have been set to oversee the functionality of the church, we are also called to shepherd the church. So what does it mean to shepherd the flock? Well, honestly, I think that we can see a lot of good parallels in just a, a shepherd of sheep, right? You hear that analogy frequently, and it is a good one. A shepherd leads the sheep to, to good grass to feed. So the shepherd feeds the sheep, first and foremost, and that's what we are about here. We are a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. We want to feed you guys well. We want you to be the best-fed flock here in Napa. That's why we teach through the Bible. But the, the shepherd is to also lead the flock. He leads them. He doesn't just feed them, but he leads them. So we're, we're trying to provide oversight. Who are we? Where are we going? How are we going to get there? What are we about? We want to, to provide leadership to the church. What are we doing? We don't want to just float. You know, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. And so we want to provide leadership to the church. That's what the elders are called to do. We're here to protect you guys. We're here to protect you guys. Uh, Paul said that savage wolves are going to come up from within your very ranks, the people that he was talking to. Some of them would become wolves. And that, was, that is a very sobering thing to consider. But we have to be very vigilant. We have to be very watchful. And I've had to even boot someone off the property here one time that came in. They weren't allowed to be here. They, they were a real threat to the flock, and they showed up anyways. And I had to meet them at the front door and, and send them packing, you know. And that's, as a shepherd, that's what we have to do sometimes. And so uh, I've heard it said that if all you ever do is feed the flock, but you don't warn them or protect them, you're just fattening them up for the kill. And so we are here to protect Shepherds also discipline. Sometimes the sheep would have to be disciplined. They would stray. And uh, the, the shepherd would bring the, the sheep back in. But sometimes, um, I've heard about this kind of going down in different ways, but there would be the, um, an instrument that the shepherd would have that they would use for um, beating off wolves, so on and so forth. But they also had the ability to throw it. And they would practice this. And they were extremely efficient uh, with this. And so if a sheep got away and it was to the point where the shepherd couldn't catch the sheep, he could throw the stick and basically club the sheep. Now, that's one area where this doesn't translate perfectly over because obviously I'm not going to club anybody in here, all right? So you don't have to worry about that. I can't be beating the flock. And we talk about that regularly. I'm here to feed you guys, not to beat the flock. Um, 
And some pastors do that, unfortunately. I had a brother tell me early on, he said, the day that you beat the flock, resign. It's over because you are no good to anybody. And I took that seriously. I don't ever want to be guilty of that. And so uh, even cleaning the sheep, I won't get too deep into that, but the shepherds had to do some, some pretty uh, gnarly stuff cleaning sheep at times. But you know, here, people make messes. Sometimes people make some, some real messes of their lives. And, and we as pastors, as elders, have to be able to get in there with them and help them sort through the mess and to see to it that, that, that cleansing happens, that healing happens, that restoration happens. That is necessary. Um, you know, and uh, I spoke of discipline. You know, one thing I didn't really mention is there, is there are times when elders are called to actually put people out of the church, Christian believers, if they are involved in heinous, gross sin, and they are confronted in, in the, the biblical manner, but they refuse to repent, there comes a point when they have to be disciplined by the elders, and the elders will have to actually put these people out of the church in hopes that the Bible says you hand them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that their soul might be saved. That's the hope, is that they would repent and turn and come back. That is very much part of the, the discipline that happens from a shepherd. So all of these things I've mentioned here, these, this is the duty of the pastors and the shepherds, those uh, men who come alongside the pastors in ministry. So what should be uh, our attitude towards the elders? Um, or excuse me, what should be the attitude of the elders? The attitude of the elders. 1 Peter chapter 5, turn there. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. All right, Peter is speaking here, and he's speaking to the elders. So he says, the elders who are among you, I exhort. And he says, I am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. So Peter is speaking to the elders, and he himself is an elder. Peter is an elder in the church. Verse 2 he says, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers. So we see all three of the words there, elders, shepherds, overseers. And then he says, don't do it by compulsion, but do it willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So again, elders are to shepherd, but they're to do so because they desire to. They're not shepherds, they're not elders by compulsion. They're not being forced into this position, but they're doing so willingly. Oftentimes, uh, pastors will take the approach when young men are aspiring to ministry, they'll do everything in their power to discourage them from it. They'll do their very best to talk them out of it because they want to know that they know that this young man is, is sure and that he is set on this and that he really wants to do it um, because ministry is hard. And if you can be talked out of it or if there's anything else that you could do and be happy and content doing it, 
you might not be fit for that. You know, it may be better that you go do that other thing. But if you're called and you really have that desire there and you're gifted for that, it's a beautiful thing. And so the elders are called to do it because they desire to and not because they've been forced into it. They're not to do it for any kind of personal gain, as I've already mentioned. And as I've said, we're here to feed the flock, not to fleece the flock, right? That's first and foremost what it's all about. We're here to serve you. That's what Jesus told Peter. He said, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my flock. He is the great shepherd. You are his sheep, but we have been commissioned to love you guys, to serve you guys, to feed you guys. That's what it's all about. And we are to be leaders who lead by example. That's what it says there in 1 Peter. You know, we're not trying to force you guys into anything. We're not trying to manipulate you guys. We're not trying to, um, we're not trying to uh, twist your arms. We're to lead by example. You know, shepherds lead from the front. Cattle herders lead from the back. They push. They cattle prod. The, the herd, but we lead from the front as shepherds. Jesus said, you know, my flock, they, my sheep, they know me. They know my voice. They hear me. And they follow. And that's the idea. So we as leaders, we love you guys. We want to live a, a life uh, like Christ in front of you in hopes that you'll follow us. You know, follow us as we follow Christ. That's the idea. Now, how do we relate to the elders? And then uh, after this, we're going to move into the deacons. Um, Hebrews chapter 13. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read this to you. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, it says, To remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Verse 17, it says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So we're to look to the elders as examples in faith and godly conduct. We can look to their behavior and we seek to follow that. We remember them, those who have spoken the word to us. Their faith follows that. You know, their faith follows that which they speak of, but we're also to, to imitate their faith, to consider their conduct. It says that we're to obey those who rule over us. This was one of the... And I, I went through that, that ministry U-turn for Christ several years ago. I told you about that. And this is something they really drill into you. You learn all about submitting to, to leadership uh, because I lived a life of rebelliousness full on. That's what it was all about. And that was all I knew. And one of the things they try to instill in you right away is... You're not running anything now, okay? And so you're not running this program. And so the leaders who are set over you were to submit to the leadership. And this is a verse that they would often share with us. And, and that's good. Um, if you have godly leaders who are ruling over you, it's a beautiful thing. And, and, and we're called to submit to, to the leadership. And that should be a blessing to you guys. Our leadership towards you should be something that blesses you, that encourages you, that causes you to go deeper in your walk with the Lord. And there are times when people get out of line and the elders have to uh, exercise discipline. Even then, they're supposed to submit to the leadership of the elders. And sometimes people don't do that. They won't do that. They will, they will leave. They'll just go to another church. 
uh, or they'll stop going to church altogether, but they're not to do that. Ultimately, they're called to, uh, to honor and to trust and to even submit to the leadership there in the church, recognizing that we have to give an account to the Lord for how we serve you guys, for how we lead you guys. That is huge. That is very sobering. Something that I think about quite a bit. And when I stepped into this position, I realized now I have to give an account one day to God for how I lead you guys, how I love and serve you guys, and our elders do too. That's huge. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying that's a heavy weight. Let them do so with joy. Don't kick against the goads like you know, Jesus said to, to Saul. You know, when uh, the leaders are leading, let them lead and let them do so joyfully. It's only going to be good for you. And so that's, that's the relation to the leaders here. We trust that God has put them in place. We trust that they will lead us well. And ultimately, we submit to the leadership. Even if it's something that we don't understand, even if it's something that we don't necessarily agree with, we still trust the leaders as they lead. So that's elders. And today, Tim Keplin and Paul Schrader and Scott Heitman are three men at the end of the service that we're going to bring up and we're going to pray over and recognize them as elders of the flock. And so you have myself, Pastor Bill, Pastor Vince, Pastor Gordon. Those are the pastors here. And then you'll have those three men as the elders. And Dalton Goo and Dan Bernard, they are leading our, our uh, youth and children's ministries. Those young men are our pastoral interns. Our intentions is to raise them up as pastors in the not-too-distant future. So that's coming down the line. And, and so that's how we are functioning as a church. That is how we are operating. That is the leadership. That is the, the male leadership, the pastors the, and the elders. And now I want to talk about the deacons. And as I mentioned earlier, there's less said in the Scriptures about the deacons. And so this will go um, more quickly. So distinctions to note. The word deacon or diakonos, it literally means to kick up dust. And that is to say someone who's, who is working hard. They are running. It could, it could mean literally kicking up dust by running an errand. It is someone who is on the move. They are getting busy. They are serving. They are meeting practical needs. And so much so it's kicking up a, a cloud of dust. That's, that's the idea there. Um, there are other words that are used for servant in the New Testament. The most common one is doulos. But this is a different word. This is speaking of a position in the church that is given to men and sometimes women. And I'll talk more about that in a second. Who, have, uh, who demonstrate a special ability to serve. It is what they are. It is who they are. They have the, the ability to do so, and they are in the trenches. And so there are certain people that are recognized as such, and they are raised up. I mentioned um, female uh, uh, deaconesses. This is something that is becoming a little more uh, popular in the church. And let me say that is not... Uh, I was warned not to use this word because it's you know the climate of politics these days you know uh, but we we are conservative and so we believe that pastoral ministry eldership is um, designated for men some churches have female pastors and we would say that they have more of a, a liberal approach to the scriptures a liberal approach to ministry now 
When I talk about female deacons, that is not what that is. It is not a, a liberal approach. As a conservative church, we do believe that there is precedence in the New Testament for female deacons. And uh, Romans chapter 16, verse 1, it speaks of Phoebe. She was a servant to the church of Centria. And that uh, word there is deacon. So she's a deaconess. And more and more churches are acknowledging female deacons or deaconesses. And that is something that we may very likely do um, not, not long from now. So I just wanted to make that point. We have some really godly, uh, servant-hearted women in this church who are such a blessing to this body. And we would certainly want to recognize them as such as well. So that's just more, more good things to come. Now, we're all called to be servants. There aren't designated servants so that we don't have to be. You understand that, right? But it's important that we recognize these people because when things come up, specific needs come up in a moment's notice, it's important that we have people who are ready and able to, to address those needs because practical needs are huge. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. So turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Back to 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is dealing with the qualifications of a, of a deacon now. And it talks about deacons' wives as well. Verse 8 of chapter 3 says, Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things, let deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children in their own house as well. So here we have nine commands. Six are uh, positive, three are negative commands. Must be reverent. Again, that's that idea of being serious. Holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. They need to be real, legitimate, born-again believers. It's amazing how often pastors come into churches and find that their deacons aren't even Christians. Um, and that does happen. And so it's something that it cannot be. A deacon has to be a born-again believer. It says let them be tested. They need to really prove and demonstrate that they have the, the, the heart, the abilities, the character. All of that has to be intact. Again, they have to be found blameless. It's that same word. Nothing will stick above reproach. It says, let them be the husband of uh, one wife. Again, the same thing I talked about earlier and ruling their house well. Again, the same thing. Um, let me just say this. Uh, regarding children, um, this is something that I've seen happen so many times over the years. You can have the most wicked parents and the most godliest children. I don't know how that happens. And then you can have the godliest parents who have the best parenting skills in the world and their kids are just off the chain and they grow up and they go off the deep end. That is a mystery to me and that is something that, that only God really understands or knows. But the idea here is that the parents have to, they have to be good parents. Parents that love God, they love each other, they have a good marriage, they love their kids, they are devoted to teaching their kids, training them, and raising them in the admonition of the Lord. And ultimately, whatever comes of that is, is up to God. Because I've seen really godly pastors who have had kids come up and, and uh, be really bad. And I've seen some pastors leave ministry 
Some pastors have had to come to grips with, what, what do I do? How do I proceed? They had to work through this. They stayed. You know, and some people get overly extreme with this. Uh, I, I knew a guy that served as an elder. He was in his 70s. His kid was like in his 50s. And he was not a believer. And he uh, was um, a drug addict. So he considered himself disqualified for ministry. And that's just craziness. You know, that's too extreme. So um, there has to be a balance there. But the idea is on the parents. Are the parents doing what they're supposed to be doing? Are they leading well, loving each other, setting an example, investing in their kids? And I have that confidence in all of our people, to be sure. Deacons' wives, they're to be reverent. Again, that same idea. Um, serious, temperate, faithful in all things, not slanderers. So they have to watch their speech, their language. They have to be edifying, not gossips, not slanderers, so on and so forth. Verse 13, for those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. It's a very honorable thing to be a deacon. That is a, that is a p- position to be uh, esteemed as great in the church. All right, well, let's go to Acts chapter 6, and then we're going to kind of close with this text right here and move pretty quickly. We're running out of time. All right, Acts chapter 6, verse 1. This is where we see really the idea of deacons being set up in the church for the first time. And we already looked at this in depth recently when I taught Acts chapter 6. So this should be very familiar to you. But verse 1, in those days when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. So there was a, a problem in the church, a very practical issue The widows were being taken care of by the church. So as the Christians were very generous and they were giving financially to the church, the church would take that and then they would give a portion of it to the widows who were desperately dependent on the church for their daily needs. But the Hellenists were being neglected. And so this problem comes up and it's a practical matter. And let me just say practical matters are critical. They're huge. They're very important and not something to be treated as... as You know, just whatever, it's secondary. James chapter 2 says this, verse 15, If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and be filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what profit is that? What does it profit? Okay, so we we want to be about the spiritual needs of people. We want to, to care for them in that way, but we also need to take care of the practical needs of our people, right? And so I knew a pastor, I was a a new Christian, and he was talking to me about something along these lines, and he said, you know, I I am a very kind of a hopeless romantic of a guy, and I would always just try to wine and dine my wife and write her love letters and poems and things like that. And so one day he, he did that, he gave his wife a poem, and she looked at it and just kind of sighed and said, you know, this is really great, but could you please just fix the toilet? And so it crushed him, right? It broke his heart. But he realized that's true. You know, there are other things that, that need to be done that would be just as special, if not more so, to my wife. You know, and uh, I've said it before, you know, uh, men, your wives would know that there was a God in heaven if you just made the bed one day or, or something, you know, do some dishes, something. And so practical needs are are huge and so that's it's good to have deacons here in the body who are designated to help take care of those 
practical needs. So the apostles, they set those things in place. They chose godly men, men of great character who were filled with the Spirit to take this task. And this is important. You know, the, the apostles, they knew they weren't called to do everything. I'm not called to do everything. You're not called to do everything. You got that? But we are all called to do something. We're all called to do something. We need to figure out what that is and do it. And so these deacons, deacons were raised up. They were given this noble task. Notice they didn't use less than kind of men for a less than kind of task. These were men of great reputation, great wisdom, full of the Spirit. And then they set them in charge of these things. And then uh, we're told that as they went out, they chose these men. They began to serve that uh, it was a great blessing to the body. The Word of God spread. The number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and so on and so forth. And that, that's the idea, guys. When, when everything is set in place as it ought to be, then it will be a blessing to the body. There will be gr great health there. When we have our pastors, our elders, our deacons, we have everyone set in place. They're functioning. The body is functioning as it ought to. You guys are doing your part. You are playing your role in the body of Christ. The whole body is functioning with great health. And that's what it's all about. And so let me pray. Father, thank you for giving gifts to your church. Thank you for giving godly men who are equipped, who have the character, who have the heart, who have the abilities to serve your church and to be a blessing to the body of Christ. I pray for these men. I pray that you would fill them afresh with your Holy Spirit. I pray that as they continue to serve your body as they already have been doing so faithfully for so long, they have such a reputation for this, they are well-known men here in the body, as they continue to serve, Father, I pray that you would stir up within them a fresh excitement, a fresh zeal to be a blessing to your people and to serve your people. And I pray that that would be the case and that the people here would be blessed by them and they truly would lean upon them, God. And so I thank you for what you're doing in your church. Thank you for uh, new things. You're always raising up new people, and, and uh, it's a beautiful thing to see. So we, we ask a special blessing upon these men today, and we recognize them in the name of the Lord Jesus as elders and deacons here in the church of Jesus Christ, this local assembly here at Calvary Chapel of Napa. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me just say, bless you guys in the name of the Lord. God's face shine upon you. May your week just be so blessed as you are filled and overflowing with His Spirit. And uh, we love you and we uh, bless you guys. Amen.